Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos. Bible reading today will be taken from Colossians chapter 3, 20 to 21, Genesis chapter 1, 27 to 28, Genesis 2, 18 to 24. At the end of the reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and you shall respond by saying thanks be to God. Colossians chapter 3, 20 to 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So God created mankind in his own image, Genesis 1.27. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I don't know if you've ever been, I don't know if you've ever been called upon to speak on something that you really, uh, you felt was too big for you. You know, something where you felt out of your depth. It was um, a, um, a senior friend of mine who is an established banker. He told me that many times he was called to speak on things he really didn't understand. He had to present at the headquarters. So I said, what do you do? He said, well, he often used big words like sustainability, um, stable platform, uh, that's increased capacity, capacity building, a robust balance sheet, um, negotiating from a place of strength. Uh, you know, those words he said often got him through. And I often wonder that how come the people he was talking to never really spotted the holiness of what he was saying? And it occurred to me is because they also used those same words to get their promotion. <laughs> well, I think I'm faced with one of those, uh, uh, um, um, those scenarios because about parenting, you know, I really do feel like I'm out of my depth. You know, I'm a seven-year-old parent. Uh, um, sorry, but I mean, I'm, I'm seven-year-old into my parenting, all right? Not, not a seven-year-old. Oh, my God, that's hor horrific. So seven-year-old into my parenting. And um, sometimes I'm thinking, like, some of the people who taught us city kids, they say, oh, we're having a, a teaching on parenting. Who is teaching? Femi, really? Have you met his two children? <laughs> you know, but parenting is such, it's, it's an important role, but it's a very difficult role. Parenting isn't easy. One thing I often say about parenting is, the one thing you're sure about in your parenting is that you're unsure about everything you are doing. You know, you're doing it, like, oh, I don't know whether it works. You know, you, you, uh, at one point you discipline this child for doing this thing. Tomorrow you're talking to the child. Next morning you're hugging him. The other time, you know, you are cursing the mother for giving birth to him. You know, you're not sure which one works. You're just trying, and hopefully, you, you know, the child comes out and is not a, a menace in society. But thankfully, you don't have to listen to me. We'll look into God's word 
um, which I think addresses the complexity of parenting. It doesn't address it in a trite way. You look at these two verses, and you just think, oh, is that all about parenting? No, those two verses are set in a larger and broader context of what parenting, the Bible speaks, uh, the Bible says about parenting. And um, I think um, uh, whether you're an empty nester, so your, your children don't live with you again, or whether you are a parent of teenagers, or you're a parent of, you're young, you're a parent of young children, maybe toddlers, or you're a couple without kids, or you're a couple struggling to have kids, or you're not married but would hopefully want to have kids one day, or if you don't even want to have kids, I think this passage will speak to us what we're going to look at today. Uh, I said parenting is a very, very important thing. It's a unique responsibility that we're given to um, take care of other human beings. And it's an opportunity that we must not waste. And that's why I've titled uh, the next two sermons, Do not, Don't Waste Your Parenting. All right, and so to look at that, we'll look, yeah, we'll look at uh, three, three, uh, we'll look at under three headings. One, the design of parenting. Two, the task of parenting. And three, the goal of parenting. Design of parenting, the task of parenting, and the goal of parenting. I didn't say this in the first service, I should tell you now. I think all these um, sermons on our relationship with one another, they will be slightly longer than our normal sermons, all right? So I've apologized for the next, in fact, to the end of this series, all right? So, but let's start with the beginning. Now, to understand the design, the, to understand Colossians 3.20 properly, those instructions, those simple instructions there, you need to be able to understand the design of parenting. But to understand the design of parenting, you actually need to understand the design of marriage. So that takes us to Genesis chapter, 20, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, 27, 28, we see that God created human beings, and he created them diverse, male and female, which enables them, um, all things being equal, if they're married and come together, they can be fruitful. And one of the uh, ways they're fruitful is to have children. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, we zoom in to what that process was like. You know, in Genesis 1, just said he created uh, the two of them. But now in Genesis 2, we zoom into it. And I want to quickly summarize what's happening. In verse 18, if you're looking there, in verse 18, God shows us that it is not good for man to be alone. So he needs to make a helper suitable for him. But in verses 19 to 20, he realizes that that helper cannot just be any creation. He created other creatures, and he said, well, these animals are not going to be the ones that will be suitable helpers. So in verse 21 to 22, the suitable helper is going to come from the man. And so what the, the taking of the rib and creating a woman is signifying is that they were united in him at first. So that you can understand verses 23 and 24, that when he brings the woman back to the man and unites them, it's because they, she was already in him. They were united as one, but when he separated them to become two beings, he now brings them together. Are we together? But I think here we can find in 24 the two principles that I was talking about. What is the design for parenting? And what is the design for marriage? And I think you see both of them in verse 24. Let's read verse 24 together. That is why, you see, that's the problem. None of you bring up, you, you bring up Bibles, but you don't actually open it. I've noticed that in this church. So it was a test. Open your Bibles to Genesis 2. We're going to read it together. And please, not in the KJV version, NIV. The real authorized version. All right, let's go. Genesis 2, 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There you have it. Two principles. What is the principle? What is the design of marriage? The design of marriage is for a person to be united to their spouse and is united to his wife, and the two became one flesh. What's the design of marriage? For a person to be united with another spouse. How many of them to be united? Three? Four? And the two became one flesh. I know some people are thinking about having, it's called a throuple. Have you heard of a throuple? A couple, then you have a throuple. When three, of, three people are, 
But the design is really for two people. Two people. What is the design for parenting? Well, let's look at that verse again. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother. The design of parenting is for a person to leave their parents. For a person to leave their parents. Notice, it was the man and the wife that were united together. There was another entity. That entity was a foreign entity that they sort of knew. That entity's design is to leave the two of them. The man shall leave his who? Father and mother. Not only so that he can be united to his wife, but so that the unity that started with his father and mother can continue without him being there. You see, if... Remember when we made our pledges, our vows? We said, uh, forever, uh, till, till death do us. Once the us is more than two people, you've misunderstood the design for parenting. Spouses are designed to be united with their spouses until death. Children are designed to leave their parents after a reasonable amount of time. Unfortunately, this isn't the way it always works out. I say, really? I have to leave my parents? Yes, you do. And I think there are many clues there. I'll give you one clue. So, Damian and Sarah get married. You, you still, you're like, again, Damian and Sarah all the time. You're no, 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 welcome back. Damian and Sarah get married. And in nine months' time, according to the word of the... In nine months' time... Okay, now nine months' time. Actually, in, two, in fact, probably this week. This, or next... Some week, right? Sarah has conceived. We're just giving an example. Now, that conception is going to spend how long? Do you know she's going to start feed? She's going to grow bigger. She's going to eat more. She's going to be, you know, she's, she's going to be well taken care of. She will not do any house chores. That means going to do all the house chores. All of those things. Yeah, my counseling session didn't finish, so I'm just trying to. But then, at nine months, this baby that has been growing, it's going to continue growing, but then we enter into something called labor. What is the definition of labor? Labor is the crisis that ensues when the baby knows that his time in the womb is up. Because there's a set time for that baby to be there. He's taking residency in his mom. But labor tells him that your rent's due, and now it's time to leave. Because if he doesn't vacate, Another occupant, and in Damien and Sarah's case, two occupants that are meant to be there after the first, <laughs> will not be able to take their place. What is going on there? What is going on is that from the very inception, you are seeing a sign that this child is not meant to be with the parents forever. See what happens after that. It goes from the womb to the room. Right? The baby all of a sudden moves in this place that was just for two of us. Right? This baby now moves in. I don't care whether it's your cot or whether it is your, um, uh, your bed. And especially when you have boys. Oh, this thing pains me. Boys, if it's a girl, you understand. The girls, six months, they want to leave this mom. She has issues. I think, I, you know, let me take my own drama and go. So the girl wants to go. But boys, six months, but they still want to breastfeed. Seven months, eight months, I have two boys. The first one spent 19 months. 19 months, and I told my wife, this cannot continue. Desperate, measure, desperate times call for desperate measures. I took him out. We moved into the, uh, the other room. We spent two weeks there, and I broke off that chain, and I was united to my wife. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So they moved from the womb to the room. That's your room. And next, they move to their room. The distance is moving away and further and further. Now, when they move to their room, there's still an attachment. So you go, you cuddle them, you put them to bed, you put the duvet. They keep growing. You don't do that again. At some point, they put on, this, on their room, please knock, knock before you enter my room. They've entered into teenage years. They're exploring themselves and all of that. You know, this life, I don't know anything. They all, you know, they're all, you know. 
And then, this is because for some of us, we'll go through this option, they go from the womb to the room, then to their room and to the school room. You may send them to boarding school. They're somewhere, even though they're still in your house, they still feel like they're in your house, until they go to university or college. And that one, they really feel like they're away from you. A lot of fathers have a, big, a difficult time when they take their children to college for the first time. It's very difficult because they feel like they are letting go of them. And then finally, they get work. And then the real arguments start happening. Because now you know you can't control them. The child that used to say, come back at 8, 9. Now they have their work. They are not under you. So they start coming at 11, 1. You shout. You start having arguments. What is an argument? An argument is the crisis that ensues when the time for the child in your house is up. <laughs> This is something we've not done very well with. You see, the job of parenting, if you really look at it from the biblical standpoint, is really developing the skill of letting go. The job of parenting is developing the skill of letting go. And that comes hard because you invest so much love into these children. If I can address a particular controversial topic here in Nigeria, how many of you have heard especially for the girls. You will leave your father's home to your heart. There is no in-between. So that if you are 30 and there is no husband's home to go to, where are you meant to be? That is a problem. I'm serious. Because then you have said that the design of somebody from when they are in their parents' home, you are only being built for marriage. And hopefully we'll address this in our singles in Lagos. I'm just plugging it there. We'll address this later. But notice, before this person is united to their spouse, it says that this person has left father and mother. It doesn't guarantee. The first step does not guarantee the second. Part of what it means to grow into being a human is that you actually leave father and mother. Why? Because father and mother were meant to be together until death did them part, not you. This is why some people's parents are still controlling them in their marriage. You know why? You know why? I need a quick, um, 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 um. Bumi, please come. Yemi, please come. Lola, please come. And Okwe, um, please come quickly, if I may demonstrate this. All right? Yemi and Bumi, stay here. Up, up. Yeah, up, go up. Okwe, come. Stay here. Oh, no, it was that Okwe. <laughs> All right, Okwe, stay here. Stay here, stay here. Stay here, stay here. All right. So, Bumi and Yemi met themselves. And God was, they, you know, Yemi toasted and did everything. And they gave birth to Okwe. Okwe, is, this is not literal now. Figurative, Yemi, we know Yemi is married to Feyi, and she's married to, uh, where is Ali Deji? not around. Uh -huh, both their spouses are not here, so I'm not offending anyone. <laughs> All right, so now Okwe now sees Lola, right? <laughs> but what should have happened is that Okwe should have been already here, leave father and mother. And then Okwe sees Lola, and then Okwe has fully left them, and Okwe and Lola are here. This is the Bible's view. Do you understand? Many times this is what happens. He is with them. He sees Lola. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Hold him. <laughs> he sees Lola and says, hi. Say hi. 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 Hello. Ah, Lola likes her. And now, hold her. And then what does he do? He brings her. You know what has happened? He is united to his wife, but he's still united to his parents. And that is why they will try to exert force and try to exert their own influence into his marriage. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and what is really important is that as a parent and as a child growing up, you have to leave father and mother. And as parents, you, have to you are there to be able to let this child go. Now, 
course you can't just let the child go that way. If the design is such that you are meant to eventually let the child go, but the child is meant to be with you for some time, then what is your role? Because this is really important. At some point, parents, you have to allow your children to choose their own religion. It's a tragedy they choose a religion outside of Christianity, but you can't force it down their throat when they're 25. You can't force who they want to marry. You shouldn't force where they should work. I know people who can't take very good jobs because their parents have said, you cannot leave Lagos and go to Abuja. And they're 27, 28. And when they come to meet me, what do I do? I'm looking like, what do you do? What do you want to do? Because part of the job of being a child that is growing under a parent, notice the instruction is both to parents and children, as I have told some people, is that you have to learn to respectfully fight to allow your parents to let you go. Sometimes. And too many children cannot stand up to their parents. We'll get to the reason why. But if you're a parent and you are meant to let the child go and the child is still with you, then what really is your job? Well, your job is that of preparation. You are meant to prepare them to go out, but to prepare them to be wise when they're going out. That leads me to the second. The second one is the task. If you are trying to prepare them, because parenting is all about preparation, to enable them to be wise when they go out, what does that preparation entail? Well, that takes us to Proverbs 22, verse 6, a very popular verse. Train up, I'm reading from the ESV, only momentarily. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in, where, in the way he should what? In the way he should stay. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What are you meant to do? Train what? Train. 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 I want you to say it with conviction. Train. 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 I say that because so many people are training their children down. When you have children that cannot take this responsibility, when you have children who hide from their uh, parents as far, ah, man, I can't allow my parents to know I'm going to this church. When you have children who cannot take decisions for themselves and be accountable for those decisions, you see people, and now they're adults, but you see people who have been trained down. Trained down. Now, how is it that we train people down? I think we assume certain kinds of characters, certain identities. All right, I want to introduce you to four of them for those who are parents so that you can know exactly who you are. And those who are aspiring parents know what you are actually getting to and what you are going to be. I want to show you your future. All right? <laughs> Some people are doing. All right, you better listen. First one is channeling parents. Channeling parents. These are parents who live their desired lives vicariously through their kids. Their desired lives vicariously through their kids. That is, they wanted to achieve something, and they never really achieved it. And so they want to live with their kids. This is why, you know how it is now. When you ask your children, I don't know whether they grade in classes now. But when we were growing up, you had grades, right? You were grade from one to last. When you ask your parents what they were when they, um, when they were in school, what did they say? They were what? First. Everybody's parents were first. How is that possible? I mean, after some point, at the age of 12, you kind of figure out this is a lie. Like, because now you're talking to other people whose parents also came first. And maybe they went to the same school and were in the same class. Why is it that we all fell for that lie? Why is it that that lie actually went ahead? Do you know why? The parents actually didn't come first, but they wanted to be first. And now that their lives have gone, they never were first, they want their own children to be first. So they have to tell the children, when I was in school, I came first. They're trying to leave the, their, their failed um, educational achievements through their children. Maybe this parent became a senior manager. That was the peak of his career in this bank. Ah, but he always wished he could be a director, a director of one of the largest institutions in Nigeria. So how do you do it? 
it starts from the womb, from conception. So when that child is about three months in the womb, you know what you do? Start playing classical music. That's what they said. You play classical music because it's somehow stimulating certain intellectual abilities of that child. And so when most children are writing at the age of four, this child, you are going to write at the age of two. So this child that is still trying to walk, you're also giving a pencil and paper, right, right. And you get into the school. What are you people doing? I've been telling I'm, my child is not writing. Madam, he's only two and a half. So when the child is four, when the child is four, when children are just getting their numbers, you want the child to be able to do sums. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, right? board mass. So that when the child is eight, the child should be doing calculus. So that when the child is 10, he said, ah, the brightest prodigy that is about to enter university at the age of 10. So that Harvard will have heard about that child and they'll give that child a scholarship. So that the child will graduate at the age of 17 giving a TED talk. <laughs> but you see what we do many times to those children? Because we want to live our lives vicariously. We have a system through which we want to drive those children to. We never allow those children to be kids. Driving them from, at, at the age of five, they move into lessons, they move into, you know, in South Korea where they are, and India, where they had the highest suicide rate among children. In South Korea, do you know that sometimes children are in lessons till 11.30, children under, children under the age of 10, 11.30 p.m. Because parents want them to succeed. What I didn't achieve, I'm going to channel through my child. You will train that child down. Second, regretful parents. These are the ones that train their children down out of regret for the lost years, so they become overbearing and overinvolved. What do I mean? This is, particular, this is a big one here in Lagos now. What happens is you started very early in your career. You are succeeding, moving ahead. You didn't plan to get pregnant. You know, you got married, but you didn't plan to get pregnant. That thing always amuses me. Say, so, no, we're not planning to get pregnant in the next two years. And say, Pastor, I want to see you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm falling sick. Come on, join me. I will just hug you. Many people in this church, they'll say, oh, they're not going to get pregnant until. They just come very sheepishly. So you didn't plan that. Your career needs to move forward. That means, why are you laughing, Sarah? <laughs> You guys, you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. All right, so your career needs to move forward. So you don't really have time. You outsource everything on your parenting. You give it to somebody else. And then when that child is somewhere around eight or nine, at the peak of your career, you come back home one day. The child looks at you, mommy, and then the child walks with the maid, hugging the maid. And you say, my God, I have lost so many years of bonding with my child. And so for age nine, you try to pack age one to eight, everything into one year. So you start trying to do everything with child. You're just everywhere, over-involved and overbearing on everything because you are aggressively trying to make up for the lost years that you regret. And then the third, fearful parents. We have a lot of this too in the West, but here. These idolize their kids and thus train them or train them down out of fear. And they, over, they become overprotective and enablers without discipline. Let me explain. Many people get into a situation, maybe they get married, and it took them 10 years to get a child. They've been longing for a child for a long, long, long time. Eventually, they get a child. That child, you hear people that say, my child is my everything. Have you ever seen that? My children are my everything. The most important day in my life was the day I gave birth to my first child. I often wonder, wow, how about the day that you were giving birth to spiritually? So all of a sudden, everything that they are is channeled towards those children. And so the potential for anything wrong to happen to that child is what keeps them up at night. This is why you will be at the airport you are trying to sort out certain things. The child is right next to you, and then the child goes here. And you say, Tulu, where are you going? Come back near me. Because you heard that there are pedophiles around in the world. I've not heard of it in Nigeria that much, not even in the airport, but there are pedophiles in the world. And so that child being here, 
You don't know, you may look like this, and some of these people are so fast, and then you won't see the child. Overprotective. Or you are in your room, you hear the child crying, where, where the next thing you come back, who beat my child? You look at him and you stupid person, what have you done to this child? You didn't even find out what happened. Because what has happened is, not only are you overprotective, you start to enable the child, you start to spoil them. You give them everything they want. Because your only desire is for that child to look at you and just say, I love you, mommy, I love you, daddy. That is what you are driven by. And then, and of course, you are never able to discipline that child, ever. You need to tell them to go to the naughty corner. All right, condescending parents, the final one. Ah, most of us that are here were trained in this way. The condescending parents. You know what the condescending parents are? Parents who train out of an inflated view of adults and a degraded view of kids. Kids are never allowed to make decisions, never listen to their opinions. You know what I mean? The parenting that says that children are meant to be seen and not heard. When adults are talking, you never, a child must not talk. You can never ever know more than the person that is older than you. That's the way it is. I was telling in the first service how that life. When I moved to UK, this, and this is because I'd experienced this in various churches. When I moved to the UK, I was in my mid-20s. So I went to um, a church. And so the church, they said, ah, please, they want to pray for the youth of the church. So that if uh, the youth should come. So that's how your guy was getting ready. All right, man, you need prayers now. You need to succeed in this foreign land, you know, youth. All right, let's get. I was about going. I look, ah, ah. that guy, no, that guy is 17, he's 16, I know him. This girl, this girl can never, I'm not a mate. I'm not these people's mate. And I started seeing 13 to like 17 years old go. I just sat down. It occurred to me. In all the churches that I used to go to, we are a youth from, we started at 15 as youth. When we entered 20s, we are youth. 30s, I even hear one of them, 15 to 40 now. They are all youth. You know what youth is? As long as you are not older than the people that founded the church, you are the youth. And so your opinion never stood as a child because you were not raised to, um, they, they never raised you for your opinions to matter. They never raised you to see that you could actually be correct and they could be wrong. Say when an older person is, is speaking, you must always listen, they're always right. Because you have a condescending view of the young and an inflated view of the old. This is why some people in their houses, their parents still control them. Their parents still tell them, no, this thing, you shouldn't be allowing the children to watch this TV. No, you don't know that um, um, Mickey Mouse is now the representative of the gay community, and Disney is trying to bring in uh, an agenda. You know all of these things. No, put up the TV. They'll be telling, put up the TV in your own house. Say, but mommy, I don't like, mom what? as a married person. If you continue in this way, if you take any of these identities, you will train your children down. But to train a child up for wisdom requires education. Now, please, let us not narrow the view of education. Because we have a ministry of education, a commission for education, we often think of education in a very narrow way. But notice in the Proverbs there, it says that it is the parent's primary, not exclusive, primary responsibility to train and educate their children. Now, I can think of four ways, but I'm only going to think, I'm only going to talk about three, right? Four ways that, uh, three ways that we can train our children. We must train them or educate them technically. Let's start with that, technically. This is the fair we're very familiar with, and what um, we know about is that it's someone else's job. It's the job of teachers. So basically, we outsource it. We pay and they train. Now, don't get me wrong, there, there is a place for formal education that we pay. We can't do it all ourselves. Now, whether even if you're homeschooling or you are 
public schooling or you are private schooling, we do need some people with some form of expertise to give us uh, the skills, to develop the skills to live and to make a living in life. Uh, but parents can play a role in that. We shouldn't neglect our roles. What we should be looking for is, what do our children seem to like? My child, for instance, loves geography. My first son loves geography and history. So when he asks me questions, I can't just dismiss it and, oh, leave me alone. Some of us always dismiss those questions because we don't know the answers. But you have to be smart. So many times he's talking to me. I'm in my office. I'm in front of the com computer. He's asking me, Daddy, what about this? I'm like, oh, don't fool me. I'm on Google. They, uh, oh, you're just disturbing me. OK, let me tell you, all right? <laughs> um, he's, use your smartphone. Or at best, say, I'll get back to you about it on this. But if you see that this child, for instance, likes computers, push them into programming. If you see that this child uh, likes reading, get them more books. Give them reading challenges. And please, always encourage inquisitiveness. Enable them to ask questions. And if you see their strength, observe it and their passion. And please, when you do this, you know that that child should not be studying medicine. He probably should be studying law. Or should not be studying law, he probably should be studying project management. Let's get out of the, I am a doctor in my country. Some of you know me. Well, the natural now say, I want to be a DJ. He said, did you ever hear anybody's, anybody playing, I am a DJ in my country? The DJ is the one that's playing the song that enables them to sing it. It's not, what is wrong with you? Why can't a child be a DJ? No, seriously, why can't? Don't we love DJs? Do DJs bring happiness into our lives? Why can't a child be a DJ? I'm saying this because if you actually go and look at the history of DJ, DJing, this jockeying, right, there's a lot of science behind it. But no, no, no. It has to be this. And what happens is that what the child is not technically gifted for, we don't encourage and we push them into what we think they should be. Let's be careful. Amen? The second is we should educate them morally. If technical is for competence, then moral is for character. Character. Too often we look at, the writer once said, we often look at people as skills to be developed rather than souls to be nurtured. Dale Moody famously once said, if you get a thief that is stealing nuts and bolts from a railroad track, I think the problem that he has is that he lacks education. He said, if you send him to college, by the time he comes back, he will steal the whole railroad company. We must be careful not to pass on the value to our children that making it in life Right? Making it in life at all costs by working hard is all that counts. If you do that, let me tell you, Yahoo Boys are some of the hardest working people I know. You know, Yahoo Boys. You know those Yahoo Boys that drive Range Rovers and Benz in Lecky. Right? Why, why? They're not only good with programming and computers, they're very good storytellers. You know those people that they target in the West, right? And say, hey, I'm an African prince. You know, in dire straits. My father, you know, was deposed as the blah, blah, but now I have this $30 million. One of those things, you say you won't fall for it, but there are many people falling for it in the West. They are storytellers. Do you know what it takes to imagine that kind of story? They are hard workers, but they don't have a moral compass. They've been developed technically, but they've not been developed morally. Let us not miss the opportunities and times that we're given, whether it's in the car, to address sometimes complicated moral issues with our children. Or then the third thing is socially. We develop technically, we develop morally, and uh, so technical is for the competence, um, moral is for the character, social is for chemistry. Chemistry among just to be able to talk to people. Listen, companies are beginning to see that when you hire a first-class person, uh, a first-class person um, that is unable to be able to sit down with a meal, on, with, a meal with a client and to be able to cut a deal, that first-class person is a liability. There are so many people now, they are wonderful with spreadsheets. But to present in front of clients, they can't look at them in the face. 
Why? Because they've not learned how to talk to people. Their parents always kept them in. Don't go outside. Those terrible children outside there. What, what? I'm bored. And can't you play? Play. Watch TV. Look at your brother and sister. Play with them. How can you go and play with people? So those children become so timid. Those children now don't know how to relate with people socially because you've walled them in. Can I say this? And I'm not joking about this. I'm really not joking about this. There are many guys who have grown up very technically gifted, right? They know how to program, do all those kinds of things. They are not going to bribe anything. Their, their character is OK. And they are 21, 22-year-old, and they don't know how to toast a woman. Like, they don't know actually. And I know this because I knew of a man 21 years ago. Whether in spirit or in flesh, I do not know. But quite often, when he was in college, People used to come and meet him. Guys used to come and meet him too for tips on how to toast a girl that they liked. <laughs> for everyone that is new, for everyone that is in Christ is a new creature. All things are? All right. But nonetheless, some of them are still usable. If you raised a child at 21, a guy that does not know how to toast a girl, and you think that I've raised a good Christian boy, that is a lie. You've not. You've not. Because Christian education focuses on the whole human being. We, we learn from our Bible that we are, meant, we are created to be social human beings. It is not good for the man to be alone. Your child has to lie to you. He has to lie to you that he went to his friend's place so that he can carry his girlfriend to prom. Instead of you to, you know, all right, buy the suit for him. Now, set boundaries. Don't get me wrong. I know, you see them. All right. After now, when they're now married, they will now tell you that they had six girlfriends. You know that girl that used to come around, that other one, and she was married. Buy the suit for him. Put the clear boundaries. Speak to your children. Don't wait until they are 23 before you want to have the talk. You know the talk, okay, because the last uh, service there were people here. To have the sex talk. Some parents, I'm telling you, you're having the sex talk with children that have been having sex for three years. Or children that have now become sexually repressed. Because you try to ward them off. <laughs> Allow your children to be social. Have clear boundaries. But boundaries are given not to wall people of boundaries are given so that people can express freedom within those boundaries. Do you understand what I mean? All right, let's leave that. But if you if you if we invest in this, the last one about I won't talk about is culturally. But if we invest in this, um, hopefully we start to bring up people who are whole and wise that are prepared to leave us and face the world. My third point is the goal, goal of parenting. Now, if you build those children, they are wise. Now, why I say that, why I use the word wisdom is you build children that move from dependence to what? Independence. Now, the time my dad and I got into an argument, I moved out. We got into a, a very um, heated argument. I went to do something. He didn't want me to do it. And so, honor your parents. I tried to discuss, discuss, discuss. And at some point, I think he was, because it was a very, very important issue that he felt strongly about, he said, Femi, you cannot do that. And I looked him in the eye and said that, I don't think you've invested your parenting in me all these years for me to be the kind of man that only does what you say. He was inspired, <laughs> I have to say, because I could literally see his eyes look, go from angry to, that is true, to, I'm proud of him. Many times we think that we'll be upsetting our parents by standing up to them. Eventually, when you're 35 and you keep depending on them, they will not respect you. It's better to have a parent that respects you, that um, sometimes disagree with you, than a, parent that, than a parent that always, you always agree with, but they have no respect for you. So if you train up this child, that child is going to be wise. 
but they are wise only under the sun. If you train a child up morally, you train a child up technically, and train a child up what? Socially, they will be wise under the sun, as the book of Ecclesiastes says. So the question is this, are they wise eternally? Because you see, as Christian parents, our job, really, we must aim to raise children who are wise, not just under the sun. It would be a failure for us to raise children who are wise under the sun, but foolish under God. This is what Paul says to, about a young guy, Timothy. He says this to him in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the book of Proverbs, even though it gives you a lot of wisdom to face the world under the sun, when it summarizes what ultimate wisdom is, what does it say? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Because you can be wise under the sun and you can be foolish under God. It is very possible. There are many wonderful, inspirational people that we know in the world today. Made lots of money. Set up wonderful businesses. They are wise and you must recognize them as wise, but under the sun. Are they wise unto salvation? And make no mistake about it. Timothy's wisdom unto salvation was the result of two generations of excellent parenting. How do we know that? Look at chapter 1 of 2 Timothy 1, of 2 Timothy and verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. You know what happened? Lois was absolutely faithful in training Eunice to be wise for salvation. And Eunice, having received that, was absolutely faithful in training Timothy to be wise for what? Salvation. Many times we are, you know, in churches, we are, we are the ones that do this. We put a spotlight on the people who were, drug, who were addicted to drugs, and then the Lord miraculously saved them. Fantastic, wonderful. But that guy who was miraculously saved from drug addiction, when he has children, do you, do you think he wants the daughter to be a prostitute before she's saved first? No. He's going to want to teach her in the way of the Lord. The vast majority of people who are saved were saved because their parents were actually saved as well. We should celebrate that as well. So I want to give us four tips, to end with this, four tips on how we train our children up to be wise for salvation. First one, pray about it. So we're preparation for eternity. Pray about it. Or I should say this. Parenting is not just for moral behavior modification, but the regeneration of the heart. Parenting is not just for preparing children for relationships with people, but for a saving relationship with God. Parenting isn't just about technically equipping children for the workplace, but to equip them in the scriptures and for every good work. How do we do that? We're praying for eternity. The first is prayer about it. You see, far too many parents are more worried about their kids' grades, their kids' internships, running helter-skelter about putting their children in this camp. I'm not saying those things are important. But here's what then happens. You know where their heart truly is because you can see it in their prayers. They're declaring success. Our children will be better than us. Our children will, you know, be known in this and that. And quite often, most of the time, they hardly ever pray for their children to be saved. That says something about what you think about salvation. Because if you truly want the best for your kids, what could be better than them having been saved eternally? And I say this to us. If you pray for your children daily, and I think you should, don't ever pray for your children for any extended period of time that is two minutes and above without praying for their salvation. Notice our baby dedication today. 
Yes, there are many things we won't pray for, but we want them to be wise unto salvation. Always pray about that. Amen? Second, speak about it. Now, what I mean by speak about it, I don't mean shove it down their throats, right? But you know, you have to speak about what it means to be saved in different varieties of ways. Let them learn the Bible. Let them love the Bible. Teach them the Bible. When they have memory verses from city kids, help them to memorize it. Let them have songs about the Bible. When I was growing up, we had Salty the Singing Songbook. I tried it in the first service. I'll try it again. I'm going to hide God's word in my heart is a lamp unto my feet. I'm going to read God's word every day is my food, my bread, my meat. I'm going to stand on the truth of the Bible. I'm going to, my eyes, I'm going to memorize. Ah, some of you are, you are brought up well. All right, good. For those of you that don't know it, well, there's hope for your children. All right? The point is that if you say, I don't know how to do it, I'm not a pastor, there are resources. I'm telling you. There are resources. Your children are getting to the age of five, six. There are things to have devotions with them. In fact, we've bought so many things we don't even know what to use for. As you are reading Aladdin to them, I'm not saying don't read Aladdin to them. Read Aladdin to them. After that, read the Bible to them. Let them know about the truth. Speak about it. Because if you don't, if you look, your children learn what is most important to you by seeing what you frequently talk about. Third, exemplify it. You have to model good Christianity. This is what Eunice and Lois did. I have to say this. Far too many children abandon the faith because of the hypocrisy of their parents or the ugliness of character of their parents. That's just the truth. You know why? What they see. I see this, parent, this guy who is very harsh at home. But when he comes to church, he's like an angel. They get him to speak about he's a deacon. He speaks at this men's conference. He speaks at this family conference. They're just looking. Say, this religion is a scam. It's a scam. Because he doesn't really believe it. I know him. You guys don't know him. I know her. You guys don't know her. And they can't wait until they get out. Gandhi said, I love your Christ. I just don't love your Christians. Many times we don't exemplify it, and that is why people move away, especially those who are closest to us, our children. Let me say four things about how you do that. Don't abuse people or gossip about them in front of your children. First of all, don't even do it at all. But if you don't care about yourself, at least care about your children. Gossip with your wife in your room. Don't do it in front of your children. Because many times they see you gossip about those people. And when those people come for dinner, wonderful, how are you? It is disgusting to them. As it should be. But you're like, you, really? So you go to church together with those? I, no, I don't have anything to do with it. I now understand what those people mean about church. Church people are hypocrites. Because they will say, don't tell me anything about Christianity. My parents can't speak in tongues. My parents, you know, they do deliverance on people. My parents can quote all the scriptures. I know all of that. That thing lacks power. There are people who have a form of godliness, but deny the power that that godliness produces by their lives. Second on this, please ask for forgiveness when you've been harsh with your children. Can you do that? You know when you've, the child did something, but you just exploded beyond the measure of what, you know, the child did. And you see that child turn back, really hurt. And you feel bad about it. And then you go out. What's wrong with you? He said, why are you not smiling? Why? What's wrong with you? Maybe the child is five. You now give them chocolate. Or yeah, take. Not only are you teaching children bribery and corruption from a very early age, <laughs> by bribing them with chocolate, they're saying their feelings don't matter. And you are not showing that you can be wrong. You made a mistake. You always tell those children, say, I'm sorry, but you are unable to say it yourself. See, that child you are bribing with chocolate at 5 and 6 will eventually be 15 and 16, and you can't bribe them with that chocolate. What do you do? Will you bribe them with money? 
They will take the money and they will reject your Christianity. Say you are sorry. Exemplify Christ. The thing that you preach, exemplify it to them. What does it cost you to say, hear me? Daddy shouted at you when I wasn't meant to. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That child will say, when you say it out in church, say, yeah, I see consistency there. Third, and this one is, I'm really particular about this one. Take your children to church regularly. You see what I mean? Regularly. First of all, when you want to get up for church, right, don't make it that it is Sunday that is the day that you actually, your children will see you, say, oh, yeah, let's go, let's go, you have to go to school, I'm going to work. Sunday, oh, we're going to church today. What does that child learn from that? Work and school really, really matter. No, church matters, but work and school really, really matter. And then when you come to church, not only do you come late, right? You, you have to require, okay, now you come to, not just bring them to church, require their attention. The problem is when we ourselves are not attentive in church. Your children are on phone. You want to tell them to put down the phone, except that you, you have been on phone throughout the whole service. And you say, eh, but church is boring for them. Oh, my word. Let me tell you the truth. Huh? I didn't like church up until like I was 21 or 22. I didn't like church. Children generally don't like church. Just, that doesn't mean. When I was married, by the time I was in my late 20s and I had a child, do you know what I did? You know the first thing we're looking for? We're looking for a church that we like. Those people that didn't like church when they were growing up, when they have kids, the first thing they look for is what? Church. Children will grow into it. My son today, I came for the first service. They were singing. He was sitting down. I came. What are you doing? Stand up. He said, Daddy, I'm tired. It was past, it was to nine. Tired what? You just woke up. Stand up and sing. Say, ah, that's being harsh. They don't feel it. Don't worry. They will eventually feel it. They memorize it first, and then they what? They feel it later. That's what catechizing is about. But if you don't have the moral authority to say that, how do you impart it to your child? You lose the moral credibility because you yourself, you are late, you come maybe once or twice in a month, and then you know you, 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 you show them that, oh, work, I was so tired. And then when you are here, you are not attentive as well. When it's time to pray, that's when you are texting. How would you be able to correct that child? Exemplify it. And then finally, outsource it. One of the most staggering um, stati uh, statistics I ever read was that, do you know the, most, the single most important factor for children who go into university that retain their faith? Do you know the single most important factor? Well, it was in the US. So I don't know about Nigeria, but I think it also applies. The single most important factor for a child, a child that goes to uni to retain their faith was that they had a relationship with an adult, a godly adult that was not their parents. Because no matter what, even if you say my children are my best friend, there are some things they cannot tell you. But they've seen it not only with you, they've seen it with other people. Try to encourage your relation, your children with their aunties and their uncles in church, especially the ones that you can trust. And for those of us who are single, that is something. Invest in that. Take out some of the, your, 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 um, the married couples. Help them babysit. Take their children out. Just practice what parenting will be like for them. Tosi and I have been absolutely blessed by Faith. Faith will just come to our house and say, I didn't come and see you. She didn't, come, she didn't come to see us, really. She's spending time with the children. Sarah, although she can't do it again because Dami has taken her away. But that was the same thing as well. What those children are seeing is that mommy and daddy's faith is also in Auntie Faith and Auntie Sarah. And I like Auntie Faith and Auntie Sarah. And I see the way they live their lives. And so maybe they go to university and God forbid they do something absolutely terrible. And the question is, do I leave the faith because I'm afraid of the shame or do I confess I can't tell my mom and dad I'll call her to faith <laughs>
call unto faith. Pray about it. Speak about it. Exemplify it. And outsource it. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.